we're going to open up the scriptures. But good morning, church. It is so good to see family in the house. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice, and we are glad in it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you wake up on this side of the bed or that side of the bed. This happens, that happens. Life happens. And yet, happenings don't dictate the rejoicing that we can still have in Him. And so Psalm 118, 24 is my favorite scripture. No, I don't rejoice necessarily in the things I don't feel good, but, oh, I feel good about him being in the boat with me when I'm going through. And so we rejoice, we're glad in it. The psalmist also says, I was glad when it was said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, because there's fullness of joy, there's peace, there's deliverance, and I'm so glad to be in this house today with, with folks that I call family. It's good to be home. Uh, I'm reminded of, uh, I was sharing with the earlier service, some friends of uh, our family who years ago said to my parents, you're always doing this God stuff. And when do you have fun? (laughs) And parents had a response. And a little after that conversation, he began to always be doing God stuff for fun. Um, And 30 some odd years later, he's pastoring down in Hampton, Virginia. And, And certainly this is fun for me to be here, to be here with you. Um, if I've not met you formally, my name is Paul. I'm privileged to be, along with my bride, Taylor Harris, your church planter in Charlottesville. Your church planter in Charlottesville. <clears throat> we are blessed to steward uh, the vision of Victory Church of Charlottesville, which is to see people reconciled to God and each other. And uh, we're grateful for spiritual family. We've been a part of this house since about 2005. We were at the D.C. location for a bit first, and then we moved to the Northern Virginia side, so we were here. Uh, and then for about two years, 2016 to 2018, we were privileged to serve on staff alongside uh, your amazing staff here. And we are grateful. And 2018 was when we moved back to Charlottesville. In 2019, January 6th, we launched weekly services, and God has been blessing. Thanks to your prayers and support, uh, we are seeing him move in ways that only he can. And we are just privileged to be the conduit through whom the Holy Spirit can do what he does best. Um, I'm honored to just be, again, back among those who continue to sharpen me uh, to this day. Certainly Pastor Brett Fuller, I give honor uh, to whom honor is due. He's a pastor's pastor. Um, I've always known that, but certainly this last year and a half, two years, uh, just exponential appreciation uh, for the man of God and his bride, Cynthia Fuller, who continues to pour into us as well. So thankful for him, thankful for you, and thankful to be here. Let's break open this word, which has already been broken open, has it not? The worship team, Charles giving the word, transition, communion, the word is already open. So we're going to continue our time of worship by turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 14 and 15. And as you find that or look on the screen, I'm just going to pray for our time today. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Your word is living. It's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We need you. So operate as only you can to bring healing and wholeness to our lives. Allow this word to seep deep down into our hearts such that it can be applied to our lives. And as such, we be different. We want to encounter you in your word and be changed. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak today and that each of our hearts, mine included, be softened to what it is you want to say to us today. Open up our eyes, as Psalm 119 and 18 says, to everything you have here in your law. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 reads this way. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, for God's sake. No, I'm not angry. Uh, your neighbor might be, I don't know. Uh, but I want to just talk about what it means to live for God's sake. Um, we had some friends over um, recently, and we were talking about our children and their obsession with superheroes, these cartoon characters, and we shared our stories, they shared theirs. Theirs were better, so I thought, I'm going to use that. Uh, they were at a, a dinner, and at this dinner, there was one particular young man whose obsession was Spider-Man. Obsessed. Life was all about Spider-Man. And so this uh, young man before dinner was asked to say the prayer, and he obliged, absolutely, I'll say the prayer. And so everybody closed their eyes, and he said, Spider-Man? Thank you for the food. <laughs> and like you, all the adults in the room are cracking up, laughing. Their eyes are now open. They're smiling. But they noticed something, and this for me was where the story got exponentially better. They noticed that not just the young man, we'll call him Johnny, who was praying, still had his eyes closed and very much sort of <laughs> in his zone. But there was another young man, his friend, who was at the table at the end. And while Johnny was praying, his friend was like this, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, isn't that something? Life for those young men, all about Spider-Man. Now, we know uh, that uh, at least explicitly we're not going to say Spider-Man or whatever else we could fill in the blank with for our life in a prayer. We know better than to say God, uh, or rather career, or uh, uh, my college fund for my kids, or uh, my next degree, thank you for X. We know better than to say that, but how many know sometimes behaviorally we do just that? And so today, the main emphasis, really, is for us to be perhaps reminded, maybe informed for the first time, maybe um, a refresher for us to live for God's sake. For when we live for God's sake, everything becomes a God thing. Living for God's sake, everything becomes a God, uh, a God thing. It's a funny example. I can go back even through my own life and think, man, at this point I was so living for this sake, that sake, this sake, or that sake. Some of which could be just clearly sinful in terms of it offending God and being quite explicit through Scripture. Other things might even be good, good things. But when they are not God things, they can become bad things. And so the Apostle Paul in this text is compelled, it says, by the love of God. He's compelled by Christ's love to first, on his second missionary journey, even plant the church here in the city of Corinth. A lot of folks there, about 400,000 or so, Jews, Greeks, a very mixed sort of multitude of people. It was a very wealthy city, there was rampant paganism and immorality present. And so Apostle Paul says, yep, right in the middle of that, we're going to drop the word of God. We're going to plant a church. 
And so the book of 1 Corinthians was his letter to them after hearing back from the church that was planted. We have some issues, issues with not the least of which included disunity, orderly worship, immorality, etc. How many know if you get some folks together who may look, sound, think nothing like one another, there are going to be some challenges. We at Grace Covenant know and have seen God work in and through what could be challenges, but leverage for his greater glory. Victory Church, we're talking about that and learning about that now as people come from all different walks of life. And one of the things I always say is this isn't window dressing. Hello, I don't want a photo op. But what we need is some work to be done. So I'm not surprised (laughs) that the Apostle Paul then had to pen a letter to say, okay, here's the opportunity and here's how we navigate. That's 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians comes to us by way of him writing another letter because there are the super apostles, if you will, now challenging his apostleship, challenging his authority, calling him fickle, saying he couldn't dress nice, (laughs) saying he didn't know how to speak, all of these different things. That I chuckle because if, if, if you and I, or I'll just talk for me, have ever been in a position where you're wanting to help someone and they are doing everything in their power to mock you as you try to help them, my first thought is, I'm trying to help you, bruh. <laughs> like, I'm really trying to serve you and this is how you were coming at me. Apostle Paul doesn't do that. There's no resentment. He, in fact, says, you know what, I'm going to write you this letter to help encourage you, help guide you, um, and to help make clear to you, I'm compelled by Christ's love, and I'm sent by him. That's why I'm here. Through his own behavior, he's encouraging the church at Corinth and us by extension to live a life that's compelled by the love of Christ. A life controlled, if you will, constrained, the King James Version says, which means just held together by the love of Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for us is that in everything that we do, how we love our spouses, how we treat our coworkers, how we engage each other, even in this space as we serve on ministry teams in our small groups, that we be compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. That it's the love of Jesus Christ. The NRSV says it this way. The love of Jesus Christ urges us forward. There ought not be any other love that competes with that. So if we're honest, some of the tension is that there is. <laughs> There's Spider-Man, for one, (laughs) Superman, whatever your cartoon character might be. But when we're truly convinced, as the Apostle Paul clearly was here, that Christ is the one who died for every single one of us, Romans 5 and 8 says it this way, when we were yet sinners, when we're convinced of that, when we recognize, Hebrews 2 and 9 says, that by the grace of God, he would taste death for every man. When we grasp that, may we then declare and display a life lived for God's sake. When we think about the fact that there was literally no fine print, no footnote, no asterisk, he didn't die just for those in the room who have a 15-minute commute in the D.C. metropolitan area. If he did, we'd, much of us would probably be in trouble. I know I didn't have a 15-minute commute when we lived here. He didn't die just for those who had a good jump shot. He didn't die just for those who were in this political party or that political party. He didn't die just for those who were able to go on to post-secondary education. He didn't die for those only in this zip code or that zip code. He didn't die for those who passed the, the, the paper brown bag test. Or He didn't die just for one particular person or the other. But John 3.16 says, for God so loved the 
the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so when we think about his love, his unconditional, mind-boggling love that would lay down his life for us, those who didn't deserve it, hello, amazing grace. Like Paul, that ought to be what drives us. That ought to be what urges us. When we think about the fact even that he had to die for everyone, to me, says, everyone needed to be died for, in that there's no salvific work in and of any one of us in the room. Psalmist says in Psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm 51 and 5 that we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, before we were ever formed in our mother's womb. Sin was there, not when we first made our misstep, but rather we inherited grandmama, granddaddy, Adam, and Eve, this sin problem in which grace needed to have intervened. Nothing in us leads to salvation. So there ought to be no other love that competes then with his perfect love. But the tension, there's always tension in any text. Tension is that many times we do try and we live for ourselves or we live for our ambition or some other motive that creeps itself up above the priority of Jesus in our lives such that we're living for its sake and not God's sake. Paul reminds us what should be our motive by saying to the people at Corinth, I'm only here because Christ's love compels me, because I recognize who he is, whose I am, and who I am not without him. With each passing year, I know for me, there's a deeper appreciation for who God is and who I'm not. Growing up in a non-denominational church in New York. I was born and raised on Long Island. Our church was in the Bronx. Uh, it was definitely charismatic, sort of Pentecostal flair to our worship experience, uh, which was interesting because I married my beautiful bride of now 14 years, and she grew up in, as a Catholic. And so when she came to visit that first time, it was one of those like, okay, babe, when I move, you move. <laughs> Don't know. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Family to this day, that's where my roots are and where I experience the Holy Spirit for the first time through a variety of means, all of the gifts uh, present here in the, in the Scripture. But, uh, and Taylor would become family to them and, and, and them to her. But there were three words in that environment that I remember that would change up any program at any time. Three. Anybody know? Anybody want to guess? When I think... <laughs> When I think, now that would be most, but kind of okay there. But then if not, there were, we can go the full eight words. When I think of the goodness of Jesus. And if the eight words didn't get it, then we keep going. And I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. My soul cries out, hallelujah. I thank God for saving me. There was this collective understanding of the work that Jesus Christ had done for us already. He's been that good, lived a life we should have lived, took on human flesh, emptying himself of divinity. Who does that for me and you who didn't deserve it and says, I'm going to nail every one of your sins to the cross. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, that's enough. If he does nothing else for me, I'm living for God's sake. Are you kidding me? I don't have to go to hell. Hello, that's a good day. Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't have to do anything else for us. And yet sometimes, short parenthetical, we can sometimes get entitled 
Maybe not in words because we know better. I've been serving you so long, Jesus, really. <laughs> what do I owe you? Anyways, close parenthetical. He doesn't have to do anything else for us. He doesn't. But what he does is this. Paul, I'm going to heal your heart from the inside out, like literally to your heart. The echocardiograms that you had to get throughout high school because every, for every athletic team that I participated on, there was this concern. I'm going to heal you of that. You know what else I'm going to do? The shootout that you're going to find yourself in the midst of that you had nothing to do with? I'm going to make sure no bullet comes close to you. You know what else? When that car crashes and it is completely destroyed, I'm going to have you walk away without a scratch. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, the depths of depression, the place I never imagined myself to have been. Yet Jesus says, huh, don't owe you anything, but come on, son, we got some things to do. You got a testimony to tell to somebody who's down in the pit from where I'm taking you from. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, Ephesians 2 and 1 says, when we were dead, we were dead, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And then verse 15 of the text we've read today in 2 Corinthians 5 says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the Apostle Paul is saying this isn't about promoting your own interest, seeking one's own pleasure, gain, or reputation. It's about living for God's sake. When we live for God's sake, everything becomes a God thing. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so it is about living to be reconciled to him and to each other. Kind of means then we don't live for our ideas. We don't live for our careers. We don't live for our political party. Uh-oh. Or we don't live for the next paycheck or whatever financial capital we can gain from this next, you know, sort of interaction or transaction. We don't live for that. We don't live to have our lives comment on God's word. We live for God's word to shape our lives. When we're living for God's sake, everything, everything becomes a God thing. What does that not mean, though, is it does not mean that we need to quit our jobs and run into full-time ministry. I do not need that call from Pastor Brett saying, what did you say? Everybody's saying they want to come work for grace. If God is saying to you that that is your path, yay and amen. But how many know God is with you wherever you are, in your industry, in the workplace, in the barbershop, in the salon, in, 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 in the, on the basketball court, wherever you are, live for his sake, whatever you're engaged in. It's all about pleasing him, bringing honor to his name. Last September, September 17th, I celebrated my 40th birthday. I know you can't tell. I get it, but just move on. Uh, and my wife said, what do you want? I said, I want to go home. I want to go back to Long Island. I lost my accent. I don't even sound like I'm from New York anymore. Let me go get a taste of where I grew up. So we went back to Long Island. We're knocking on doors, meeting with friends, and we go by some neighbor's houses, and some of them would come to the door, and they would say, Some had some close to tears in their eyes. How's Charlie and Doris? That's my mother and father. And the more they talk, I'm like, y'all are testifying. Mom and dad were neighbors for God's sake. <laughs> Mowing the lawn for God's sake. Playing racquetball for God's sake. Testimonies all down the line. Lord, how might I be in every sphere of influence living for your sake? Playing with my kids for God's sake. 
forgiving a coworker, for God's sake, apologizing quickly, for God's sake, waiting until marriage to get into bed, for God's sake, doing my taxes, it's that time, for God's sake, <laughs> really okay, for God's sake, yes, for God's sake, aching for, speaking up for the marginalized and the oppressed, for God's sake. Being excellent in your craft, whatever that might be, education, business, law, medicine, whatever, for God's sake, using the platform to tell of his goodness and his glory. Living for God's sake makes everything a God thing. And his word provides us direction so that we can keep from honoring self or otherwise pursues living, uh, pursuing living for, for some other motives that take us away from his purpose. But if we're not careful, though, even in the church, we can find ourselves um, distracted from living for God's sake. That tension can exist. The enemy of our soul, for example, could have us so wrapped up in all of the things that we're doing. Church planning is hard, by the way. It's a lot of work and all of that, but it's so, so good. And I'll tell our team, thank you. Thank you for serving. What did y'all say? Colossians 3, 17, right? Serving as unto the Lord. Thank you. And don't get distracted. It's for him. Yes, I want to hear about what's happening in the respective teams, but do not get caught up in just what have I accomplished? What am I going to share at this next team meeting? <laughs> Rather than this is my reasonable service, Romans 12. I lay down my life. Everything that I'm doing is for God's sake. There's no notches in the belt for what I'm doing. I'm just, have we talked about what he gave to us? responding to how do we in every space live for God's sake and so Paul is appealing here to the church at Corinth saying everything he is living about and living for is compelled by the love of God and that they too extension we ought to be living our lives as well for God's sake and so my challenge for us for you and for me I'll just say this week is to think about the areas in which we are not living for God's sake. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 and 1. This is sanctification, yes? It's why we are all, 100% of us, in a small group, yes? Yeah, right? I missed up all the time. Thank God for my bride. Oh, you missed that, right? We can't live life alone. Are you kidding? Support, prayer, encouragement, and, hey, bro, sis, I want to get that. Where? In our lives, might we not be living for God's sake? That we can say this week, God, I'm just going to press into that space this week afresh because I want you glorified. I don't want to be distracted. How might, it, how might I in this space, whatever that looks like for you, live for God's sake? Maybe it's impurity. How might I live for God's sake? Maybe it's in honor and integrity in your schoolwork, students, living for God's sake. Maybe it's in resting and trusting God that he knew what he was doing when he placed you here on the planet. And when he said, remember the Sabbath, that's me. <laughs> How might I live for God's sake? 168 hours in the week, you don't need to work 167. That probably says more about your lack of trust in me than it says your fervor and zeal for me. Because you think you got to do it. Hello, remember the Sabbath. If you're not living for God's sake, I'm just saying. Maybe lean into that as well. Whatever it is, that's the challenge. Purpose in our heart to live 
for God's sake and allow the power of God to do what the power of God does, like conquer death in the grave, oh, he can handle what we got. Now, what I imagine as I conclude, when I think about us living for God's sake, individually and collectively, I imagine a lot of things, but uh, in the moment, generational impact. The generational impact. I am quite aware, though naive I am on a lot of fronts, but I'm quite aware I'm not standing here on my own. Standing on the shoulders of a lot of giants. John Jasper is one of those giants, former slave an ordained Baptist minister after the Civil War goes on preaching the gospel, living for God's sake, standing on John Jasper's shoulders. A woman who was, again, a slave, bought and sold four times, never learned how to read, never learned how to write, figured out how to run away at the right time, got some help in, in, in sort of purchasing her freedom, after which preached the word of God advocating ab abolition of slavery, preaching the word of God, then dictating her memoir. I'm standing here on the shoulders of Sojourner Truth. Charlie and Doris Harris, a little closer to home, all my siblings and I, we're standing here because they decided to live for God's sake. My kids, Jesus isn't foreign to them because they did that and do that. Generational impact when we decide to live for God's sake. So when you go back to work tomorrow or whenever you go back and there's that coworker or that person in the cubicle over here that everybody is like, they're just kind of different. You just leave them alone. They just say stuff. They just, ah. What might it look like to live for God's sake in such a way that they too are reconciled to God? What might it look like in your home, in your marriage? What was it, February 15th, the marriage seminar? Right, so you can imagine, but then you can sign up too. So what might it look like in your marriage to live for God's sake? Oh, right, that was my need. What are yours again? How do I submit to them? What might it look like on the basketball court? What might it look like wherever you find yourself to live for God's sake and to see him do what he does? I imagine there being peace amidst chaos when we live for God's sake. This week has been a week globally, the mourning of Bryant family and others in California, locally, the different diagnoses that have come in and around the family, the phone calls to come here and to, to do this and to do that and to serve this family because they lost this person so early in life. And I say, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. How might I posture myself living for your sake not just because I'm a pastor and that's my role, oh, because I'm an ambassador of your kingdom. How might I do that? How might I do that as I close again? Second closing. <laughs> I got about four, right? Five. <laughs> One of our small groups, we call them victory groups. They invited me out to their, uh, well, I just kind of go around to all the groups. But they say, this night will be good. I say, great, I'll come. So I'm sitting down with them and they say, Paul, how do, how do we, we've been talking a lot about like dismantling systems of oppression and this and that. And I'm like, ooh, great. Let's talk about what you've talked about so far. And then as we went along and we talked about being reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5 and 18, that being priority, and then the horizontal uh, reconciliation coming as a result of that vertical. And how might it look for you in your respective political parties or sort of ideologies for you to say, yes, that's God. That ain't. And over here in this party, whatever, that's God. That ain't. And be his ambassador. What might it look like 
to live for God's sake in a space where it is so desperately desired. Live for God's sake. Oh, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to participate in that process. How might we as we close for real? <laughs> live for God's sake. And living for God's sake then does make everything a God thing.